You're listening to the podcast of East River Park Christian Church. If you'd like to find out more information about the church or donate to this ministry, please visit us at eastriverpark.church. We pray that this is an encouragement to you as you grow in Christ through the local church. You're not going to listen to your radio? No, I don't hear it right now, but you never know. Okay. Hey everyone, welcome to another Behind the Message with Jason and Chris. Wow, that was a little... Too much? No, I just felt like while I was talking, I thought, I don't know if I've got the energy for this. And you come come in (laughs) swinging for the fence here. Sorry. No, I like it, you know? It's like a, you know, a solid relationship. You need to balance each other out. Mm -hmm. So, you know, weeks when I'm... When you're sad, I'll pick you up. There you go. You know, you got a friend in me. That's a good one. It is a good one. Um, what's his name? I don't know. Oh, what is his name? Toy Story. <laughs> <laughs> Andy? Ah, <laughs> uh, I'll look it up. <laughs> no, we can't even start this podcast, so I like to look it up. Hold on, guys. We're going to get started here in one second. (laughs) Nope. Uh, Toy Story. Mm -hmm. Ah, that was it. Randy Newman. Yes. That's correct. I should have known better. All right. Let's get started. Uh, Last week, you you burned one of your only sick days for the year. (laughs) I didn't know I had sick days, but that's good to know. Okay. Well... We had our uh, one and only special guest, yep. uh, Matthew Bunton, come on. Matthew? And uh, I told him, I said, Matthew, please, whatever you're going to say, like, please, before I hit the record button, don't say anything that makes me go back and edit <laughs> all of this. Uh, uh, and you know what? He did great. He, I thought he did too. Yeah. yeah. Other than like... 30 seconds in, he had probably said Derek's name 10 times. And I'm like, Matthew. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. I texted Derek. I said, I couldn't even record anything with Matthew without him bringing you up. I do want to, I want to see that vote. Of whom? Yeah. Yeah. I want to see people. the awkwardness of that vote that you bring up on a Sunday morning. Yeah. Raise your hand. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. This has nothing to do with nothing, but who no, have you all? I, I think I'd, I would do that vote if I could fit it into uh, a sermon. Would you? <laughs> kind of like, you know, let's poll Israel. Who wants a king? Yeah. <laughs> All right, raise your hand if you want a king. Yeah. And then, you know, something like go. that. I can be like, raise your hand if you remember Derek. But then you're like comparing Derek to a king. I don't know. King Saul, you know, he was like David. <laughs> um, all right. Uh, well, since Matthew did it, what, uh, yep. and you did listen to it, I did. How do you think he did? You know, he'd been, it's been a while. So how do I you? Thought think he did Matthew? fantastic. I mean, I oh, love wow. Matthew. Oh. So he, I mean, he's uh, he's very entertaining and very informative. I, I thought he did excellent. Yeah. yeah, I think he always does a good job. You don't know what he's going to say, but he always does a good job. <laughs> he does uh, throw me for a loop sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> And he won't stop talking to me about these chicken fingers. Um, he went and got chicken fingers from uh, this place like Huey Magoo's or something in Kingsport. And he texts me, he said, these are the best chicken fingers hmm? I've ever had. And then he texted me a picture of them. <laughs> so, but I will tell you, um, he made chicken fingers for staff lunch last year. Yeah, I remember seeing that They post. were really good. I mean... Give credit where it's due. If you don't like Matthew, you'll like his chicken fingers, you know? So, Chicken is best when it's made in an air fryer. Oh, what, I mean, I don't, what do you, not better than like grilling it or yeah. frying it? The best chicken what? I've ever had. Did you make it? That I've made. Oh, okay. Air fryer. Yeah. Yeah, in fairness. Corey's, Corey's made salmon in the air fryer, and she like, um, she'll coat it with mustard mm-hmm. as a binder. I mean, you don't taste it, but, and then season it, throw it in the air fryer, flip it like once, and the skin gets real crispy, so you can mm-hmm. just kind of 
peel it off and yeah. What do you eat it? No, I don't eat oh, fish. Oh, okay. I thought this is the, the way that you were like. I was I'm thinking of the that. crispiness of the chicken is what I was thinking of when you said that. <laughs> like my grandmother eats. Uh, it's like if you fried fish, she'd eat the tail. Really? Yeah. Isn't that weird? That is very weird. <laughs> um, yeah. I'm not trying to speak poorly about my grandmother, but <laughs> she the fried fish growing up. If we they were down in Florida, she'd eat that fry that tail up and eat it with it. <laughs> everything. It's gross, man. That's gross. All right, let's get started. This. Well, how did you think Matthew did? I, I thought he did all right. Okay. No, I'm joking. <laughs> he, does, he does a great job. Um, I tell people, like, Matthew's very humble and willing to learn. Um, but the difference is, like, there's a lot of people that are willing to learn but and willing to take advice, but it doesn't mean they'll actually apply it. Yeah. <laughs> Not only will he apply it, but I've told people, I said, he actively is seeking out advice. That's a, that's really difficult to mm-hmm. find. I mean, I might, I met with him this afternoon for a few minutes because he texted me this morning just seeking out advice about something. Yeah. And we sat down and looked at it and talked about it. Um, that's really hard to find. Um, and I think that will make him uh, a lot better leader. I mean, really, that's... I've tried to do that my whole life, like... If you sit around and wait for people to give you advice or speak into your life or anything, I mean, it might happen, but you should go out and find it. Like, go find someone that's a little further ahead in whatever area you want and say, hey, can you help me? Yeah. (laughs) So, yeah, that's really hard to find. So, if he ever listens to this, we love you, Matthew. Absolutely. Um. Yeah, he does, but he does talk a lot about chicken fingers <laughs> and now chicken wings because I guess uh, that chicken wing place in Johnson City is doing their chicken wing bar again. <laughs> it's like $12 all you can eat wings. Really? Where's this at? <laughs> <laughs> it's down the one close to downtown. The mm-hmm. um, it's about the by Founders Park, yeah. Oh, you know what I'm talking about, yeah. right? What is the name of that place? I go there all the time. <laughs> I have a gift card for there. Yeah, well, you can do it. Uh, I yeah. think that's where they want to go for the next staff lunch. Okay. So, Because Derek took us. You want to bring up Derek? Derek said, there's this really great all-you-can-eat wing bar. We all need to go. It was like his last staff lunch. And we went, and they had closed it down. No all-you-can-eat Wild Wing Cafe. Yeah, that was it. Okay. Yeah, he talked a lot about that during staff meeting. <laughs> All right. Um, well, let's get started. We uh, finished this series on Sunday, giving as worship, um, and I had gone through different passages over the past few weeks. And this past Sunday, we looked at um, Colossians. So, so starting off, Jason, what's the background of uh, Colossians? Well, it's a letter. <laughs> no, uh, I'll just kind of recap what I mentioned on Sunday, just as a set us up here. Around AD 62, Apostle Paul sitting in prison in Rome. Shocker. Uh, yeah, I know, that guy. <laughs> if you're going to go to jail, go to jail like Paul went to jail. Yeah. Um, writing a letter to the church in Colossae that he probably had never actually physically been to. Um the church was struggling with false teaching, like a lot of the churches that, um, if not all the churches that Paul wrote to. Um, but I did. Have you ever heard anyone say Colossi? Uh, no. Okay. I don't think so. For whatever in my silly brain, all the way up to Sunday, was like, it's Colossi. And I was like, that didn't even sound like that, didn't even the way it's spelled. And then I watched um, a YouTube video. I was like, who else is saying this? And they're like, it's Colossi. Colossi. Actually, yeah, all I, I looked it up, and that was actually, <laughs> it was actually a John MacArthur clip, and he said Colossi. I'm like, well, he's probably right. <laughs> so, 
But I don't know where I got in my brain Colossi. Maybe that is... A, I don't know. But anyways, that's where it is. Um, so let's let's go after... Specifically, we're looking at Colossians 3, 12... Was it 12 through 17? But I tried to set up where we were mm-hmm. going before we got there. Um, so what does it mean to be raised with Christ from Colossians 3, 1? Verse 1. Uh, that we should live... Uh, with a, an eternal perspective rather than a focus on the rules and regulations of this world, uh, rather than following a set of rules, we are to submit moment by moment to the leading of the Holy Spirit. That's good. I'll pass. Thank you. I'll pass. All right. First one back in the books. <laughs> All right, Jason, looking at Colossians 3, 5, how do we put sin to death in our lives? Um. There is a term called mortification. You ever heard of that? Uh, I don't think so. All right. A theological term called we mortification, that we are mortifying, killing our sin. Okay. Um, mortify is actually used in the King James Version in Colossians 3 mm. and then another passage. The ESV and other try to say, well, you know, we don't talk like that too often. So change to what mortify is to put to death. In, at least in this context. So I would say, obviously, all of that is a work of Christ. Um, or it's the work of the Holy Spirit in us that we mortify, we kill, put to death sin in our lives. Um, but I also want to share some practical ways that you can actually think about that. Um, how would you actually mortify? How would you actually put sin to death this week? Um, there's nine steps from a guy named Tim. How do you, how would you say that last name? Chalice. Chalice or Chalice. 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 All right. Well, anyways, you at least know it's not me. My name's not Tim. So I thought this was incredibly helpful to just say, because we say a lot of churchy things at times, and I think they're good to talk about. It's good Mm -hmm. to talk about mortification and these terms, but it's also good to say like, all right, what does that mean for me today? Uh, so here's nine steps to help with putting our sin to death. Uh, I'll quickly go through them. One, evaluate. Evaluate whether your sin especially is especially serious and deep-rooted. Two, fill. Fill your mind and conscience with guilt, the weight, and the evil of your sin. Three, Load, so load your conscience with the guilt of your sin. Four, long, so long for deliverance from the sin. Five, consider, consider how this sin is amplified by your nature or constitution. Six, contemplate, contemplate the occasions in which this sin breaks out and guard against them. I think that's a good one. Seven, battle, battle hard against the first awakenings of that sin. Uh, Eight, meditate on God to see His glory and your desperate inability. And the nine, expect to hear God speak peace to your soul, Mm -hmm. but do not not speak it to yourself until He does. Mm. Actually, that was, that's a good one. Um, So I think when we talk about how do you put sin to death in your own life, you need to become with God's word, self-aware enough to know what your sin actually is. Yeah. And to not yeah. just, especially in our culture, you're just like, well, everyone struggles with that. I'm like, well, there might be a lot of people that struggle with sin, but it doesn't downplay the seriousness of it and even the seriousness in your own life. Um, so you're probably not going to remember nine steps <laughs> every day. Let's be... <laughs> fair um if i think if i could summarize it's you know be fully aware of your sin yeah yeah um uh, on a daily basis that you're you're not excusing it i mean you understand the weight of that sin um i think it's of course with repentance i I think this is assuming repentance is happening yeah um i think it is good to think like what's your What's the root and trigger of that sin? You want to put sin to death, but you're not sure why you do what you do. 
I, I just feel like the longer I've been in ministry, even in my own life or other people dealing with other people, they're trying to address uh, a surface level mm-hmm. sin issue. And that's just a symptom of a deeper rooted sin issue that they've never dealt with. Uh, so, man, how would I explain that? I won't. I'll go, I'll, maybe I'll give an example later. But um, yeah, and I, I think the the expect like God will give you peace and that forgiveness and peace um, that that you're right with God. But too often we speak that peace onto ourselves. We're like, well, it's fine. I mean, if I ask for forgiveness, it's over. Yeah. I'm like, no, God really is the one that gives you that peace that you truly have been forgiven. So. Um, there's a quote, crazy enough, um, Matthew brought this up during staff meeting that he was reading a revised version, like a translated, more modern version of John Owen's book, The Mortification of Sin. And I have a quote from John Owen. It says, be killing sin or sin will be killing you. Mm. There it is. Mortification. We've all learned a new word. That's a cool. That's one of the cooler theological words. Yeah. I just looked at mortification real yeah. quickly. Yeah. Not that I didn't believe you. But okay. I just looked it up. All right. There's an Australian Christian extreme band called metal band called yeah. Mortification. See, just FYI. That's what I'm saying. It's so cool. You can make it a. a that's metal. Right, yeah. You can't do do that with, you know, like, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> What's another big theological word? Um, I keep thinking of transubstantiation, but we don't really hold to that. Um, all right. <laughs> no, we don't. Transubstantiation is where like you think the elements of communion are truly being converted oh, yeah, into yeah, yeah, yeah. the actual body and blood of Christ. That's that's definitely not what we do. Um, all right. Well... Last one until we get to the main text. Why do Christians still struggle with sin? We're trying to put it to death. Right. Shouldn't it be done? I don't know that there is like one clear blanket answer for this question. Mm-hmm. Um, so sorry for those that are looking for the, the easy win there. But I would say we're, we're not yet perfected. Um, God is still working here. He's not sent his son yet to, to get us. So we still have to deal with the issues of the fallen world. Um, I would also say we may we may struggle with sin as um, as a reminder of our appreciation for the grace that the Lord has shown us, um, a reminder of how much we still need to lean upon Him. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's it's scriptural of you First John one eight, Romans three ten, um, Romans seven nineteen through twenty. They all talk of struggling with sin. Um, but we should continue to fight. Uh, we should repent of our sin and and turn to Christ, you know, our Redeemer. Yeah, that is interesting you bring up. I thought about that with dependence. It's not that sin is an excuse to be like, well, you know, I still struggle with this because God wants me to know that I need him, you know. It, but I think there is a level of, of that. Um, you're talking about Paul's thorn in the flesh. Mm-hmm. You know that that doesn't have to be a physical issue. Maybe it was some a spiritual sin battle in his life. Um, I would vote it's probably not, but um, I think there could be that thorn in the flesh of a sin that just constantly says like, "Yeah, you're never gonna fully graduate from struggling with this." Kind of like, you know, you might stop. If you're an addict, you might stop using, yeah. but you're always going to struggle with that until you die. You know, that's yeah. going to be a temptation, a struggle for you forever. Um, that constant dependence upon God. So I do think about that. I've thought about that in ministry. You're like, why can't I just be perfect? Yeah. And I'm like, well, one, you're already claimed perfect in Christ, and two, because you haven't arrived yet. Right. That's tough. All right, let's do Colossians 3. You can start in verse 12 through 17. And I answered this question that I did not like the language of. What should we put on our heart? 
I did. I just didn't the way like the way it flowed. This yeah. is kind of the downfall of like trying to pick pass a main passage for a series. You know, oh, you're yeah. like, well, but I think it still obviously works on some level. So Corey's like, shouldn't it be what you put in your heart? I'm like, yeah, but the passage is about putting on something. Yeah. So that's why I put it that way. So, anyways few points point one we put on a heart of forgiveness another question what does it mean to be right away in verse 12 what does it mean to be god's chosen holy and beloved um well you answered this in the sermon of course um first they are god's chosen ones god selected or elected them to be part of his family uh second these believers are holy which means set apart uh, this is due to God's work in them, not their own good deeds. And third, believers uh, believers are beloved by God. And I put a little note here, John three sixteen, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mentioned that on, on Sunday, you know, like, and it wasn't necessarily my words. I've heard it in the past and it just changed me forever this was after bible college um maybe right before kids but that like god doesn't god doesn't love a for a future version of you like mm-hmm. he likes you now he's putting up with you now and you know if you would just get your act together then he'll he'll eventually love you or that love for you will grow um but it just doesn't work that way. I mean, even with a, you know, in a marriage, like I love Corey more and more. I mean, that's the way it should work. You know, the more that you go through life together and that faithfulness, commitment, raising kids, that love should grow. But that's not how God works. It's just like He's gonna give you all of it right now. Right. So, it just changed. I mean, it was a very freeing thing to realize um so there you go yeah. all right all right so jason why should we be patient with one another well god's pretty patient with us uh <laughs> i shared Vex. an illustration on sunday about my kids putting on a shirt yeah. <laughs> i don't know if that landed but in my mind it worked out really well in my mind it was a it was a helpful illustration uh, just watching them like for a long time you know if their shirt was inside out oh, they're yeah. like well i guess we're not going anywhere <laughs> you know they they'll still come to me they're like i don't know how to fix this i'm like we'll turn it you know the right way they're like i don't know how to do that <laughs> but I'll, let me give share a different illustration uh growing in christ is a journey Yes. Uh, so some of us are going to be further ahead on that journey than others. Mm-hmm. So rather than getting mad at people that are behind us, like just be thankful they're still on that narrow path with you. Yeah. Encourage them. Be patient when they fall. Tell them to keep going. Uh, because it, it, it doesn't matter where you are on that road. Uh, you're like, you're going to trip up yeah. sometimes you could be close to the finish line and you're still going to trip sometimes. Um, you're still going to feel like you're giving up. You want to give up at times, but what matters is that you're just on the road, not where you're at, but that you're just on yeah. it. So um, yeah. I think I've just watched a lot of Christians though. They're like further along in the faith. They know more about the Bible. Maybe they're. To be, we don't like to say it like this. Maybe they are more sanctified than someone else. And they look behind. And they're like, "This joker can't get his life together." Or um, it's just so easy to get mad. Yeah. And you're yeah. like, "Man, if they're still following, like, praise the Lord. You know, they'll get there." Yeah. So that's good. So that's helpful. Oh, let me change. Uh, no, I won't share that passage. Mm-mm. No, yeah. All right, I'll share that passage here in a minute. Go ahead. Oh, I'm supposed yes. to ask you a question. <laughs> I should quit this podcast. 
Uh, <coughs> all right. Uh, asking myself the questions and answering it from here on out. You're like, I'm just going to uh, pack it up. Can you just finish this off yourself? Why should we forgive one another? Uh, Colossians 3.13 says, Bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. Yes. So we forgive because the Lord has forgiven us. I would also share that in Ephesians 4, 31 through 32 says, uh, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. I would also say that it frees us from being bitter yeah, when, we, when we forgive others. Yeah. Man, met some bitter people in my life. Yeah. And guess what? They're not happy. <laughs> Just to let you know. Nope. So, Jason, how do we reconcile verses 12 through 13 in confronting sin in the church? Yeah, I, I think it's always good to talk about this because when we talk, I mean, I kind of grew up in a church that, a church culture that was like, yeah, it's your job to forgive which is good. I mean, that's obviously we, it's in the Bible, but then you always think like of the thousand examples of like, does that apply to this? Like, are we, should forgiving mean we just let people continue to hurt us or hurt those around us? You know, like how do we reconcile that? Um, you know, what if they're not even repentant? Mm. So I think at least in this there's probably a bigger discussion than just this, but in this passage, it's specifically rooted, I think, in how we verbally treat each other. Yeah. Um, even all of those things that are listed, things that are coming from the heart, are the the offense seems like it's a verbal offense. Um, I don't think it's referencing in Colossians three. I don't think it's referencing individual individual unrepentant sin. Mm. Uh, so I think this passage is talking about being patient, forgiving the person, uh, is not talking about forgiving the person that was like abused you in the past. Right. Certainly that's a different conversation. Uh, this is about someone in the church that wasn't showing compassion or love like they should. Hmm. So we should be patient and forgiving when we don't verbally love each other like we should. Uh, but I'd also say, for maybe a later discussion, we need to be confronting sin in the church um, as that comes up. I think of Colossians, not Colossians, I think of 1 Corinthians 5. This is starting at verse 12. It says, For what have I to do with judging outsiders? Is it not those inside the church you are to judge? And I'll... I'll read the last verse in a second. But like that is something I do not hear often in church life. You know, we, you often say like, I've heard it. I've heard in this church, who are you to judge? I've heard that at East River Park when the leadership is trying to deal with sin in the church. It's, you know, why, who are we to judge? And I'm like, well, first Corinthians five, (laughs) you know, verse 12. I don't judge in, I don't judge outsiders. If you're not following Jesus, I don't judge you at all. Right. I mean, I don't. You're not a believer. Why would you act like a believer? Is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? God judges those on the outside. He does. That's yeah. His job. Um, and He'll judge everyone in the end. Right. But the text says, "Purge the evil person among you." So, I do think there could be a point where even that verbal sin crosses a line of unrepentant verbal sin causing drama and malice in this church where we say repent we're trying to restore you and if that doesn't happen you know we follow the church discipline and see you later see you later we're not gonna have that so um yeah what did i just hear i heard i just heard a little message clip on gossiping. Hmm. Ooh, this is a pastor 
we, we should institute this at our church. When he told his congregation, and I probably, I don't know what church it was. He told his congregation that if they ever hear of any gossiping in their church, mm-hmm. so if someone comes up to him and is gossiping about someone else in the church, he tells them, I'm going to stop you. And you need to tell the person, if you have an issue, you need to go tell this person well. what you what the issue that you have. And he says, we have a 24-hour rule. And he said, I tell them, in 24 hours, I'm going to reach out to that individual <laughs> and see how that conversation went and shared. And wow. just so they're talking about that. And I guess that has killed gossiping <laughs> in their church, which, um, you know, I think it's a good thing. Maybe we should start the, we should start the 24-hour gossip rule in yeah. this church. Yep. You got 24 hours to go share that uh, gossip with the person you're gossiping about. <laughs> I have done that nice. with uh, confronting sin. I've told people like, "Hey, you need you've you've got a few until this day, yeah, to go discuss that, and then I am going to call them to discuss it with them. But some you're giving them an opportunity to deal with that first, rather than just so." All right. Well, let's keep going. Uh, da, 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 da. Point two. two. We put on a heart of love. So, Jason, why is love above all things? Mm-hmm. Sorry, I'm reading the passage. Some passage. Uh, Romans 13. I'll read verse 9. Um. Actually, I'll just read it all. Verse 8, starting in verse 8. Owe no one uh, anything except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, shall not murder, shall not steal, shall not covet. And any other commandment are summed up in this word. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. Um I think that's why love is above all things. Mm-hmm. It's the fulfillment of the law. Yeah. Um, however, I think it's incredibly difficult. I even had this conversation right after staff meeting today. It's incredibly difficult to understand that in our culture. Uh, love above all things doesn't mean it erases what is right and wrong. Mm. So I can disagree with someone biblically and still love them. I can call something a sin in their life or even in my life and it still be loving. Um, I think everyone knows that. But so even, even an unbeliever would know that. So here's the problem. Here's how our culture has taken that and responded. Our culture just says, all right, well... I really think it's the deception of the devil, to be honest. It's a turning of every desire into identity. Mm. Every desire now becomes an identity. Yeah. So I can't even, let's just say it, I say, all right, well, homosexuality is a sin. Well, when that t- becomes an identity, I can't say I disagree with that and I love you because that's... Mm. You know, I'm just saying I disagree with they're hearing that and saying you I, you disagree with who I am yeah. as a person, my identity. I'm like, that's not what I'm saying, but that's right. how things are being perceived. Yeah. If that's how things are being perceived, we've already lost. Like, yeah. if you turn everything into every desire or situation into an identity thing, well, you've certainly complicated the waters. And I think that's... That's what we're we're seeing right now, um, yep. you know. So we just don't hold to that. Your identity, uh, if anything, is the generic identity of you're made in the image of God, and then your identity becomes who you are in Christ. But that's not our culture, right? Mm, now. No. So, anyways. Mm. Mm, sorry, Corey was t- 
telling me. She was texting me something. <laughs> All right. What you're saying like this podcast is no, this I'm episode good. is a trip. Uh speaking about uh love, how does love and peace create unity in the church? I uh Okay, if we all have the same goal and mindset, um, and we love one another, and we have peace with one another, and we're truly following Christ and living for Christ, then we will be we will will be building one another up, and we'll be praying for one another and forgiving for one another, and that will produce unity. Um, getting everyone on the same page, yeah. I guess to say uh, easier said than done, but it's totally possible. Yeah, but yeah. That's good. I think we're going to get some clarification um, with what I said in this next question. That was my, I think that was the toughest question. I, I don't know. I had I struggled with that one for a minute. To, well, to I have an a good quote here. I think okay. We'll, we'll unpack it. All right. So, Jason, what does it mean for the peace of Christ to rule in your heart? At least on the beginning step. It's this eternal gospel view in the middle of every suffering that everything's going to be okay. Even when it's certainly not okay right now. Yeah. Doesn't feel like it's going to be okay anytime moving forward. With eternity in mind, it will one day be okay. It's going to yeah. be all right. Um, so I think that that's certainly the shalom peace level of, of Christ. Uh, that in the end, we're going to be all right because we have Christ. Um, and I think when we have that, especially as Christians, it helps us make decisions more with calmness and peace than it does fear and anxiety about every little thing. Yeah. Um, I do think there's a, a number, more important step where I think Paul's trying to get in Colossians 3. This is a quote from... How would you say that first name? Highwell? Highwell. Highwell R. Jones. He says, this is a lot, so wordy. He says, the peace of Christ is that restoration to wholeness, shalom, that God provides through his incarnate son for a fallen universe and fractured mankind. By means of the blood of Christ, a new transnational community comes into being and ultimately leads to the new heavens and new earth in which we will now be no order or decay. Meanwhile, this empire has its outpost in the form of the local churches, where those who have received that peace live together in worship, fellowship, mutual service, and evangelistic witness for the sake of outsiders. Mm. And I thought that was helpful because I made a very simplified statement Sunday that uh, the P that piece is for the church not the culture mm-hmm. and I think what we're seeing now is churches are trying to say well we we the mission of the church is to have peace with everyone like mm-hmm. like we need to have peace with the culture as a church we're not doing our job and I think the text is clear that quote references what Paul is saying, like, no, the peace is for the church, the local church. You're not going to have peace with the culture. I mean, Scripture would be pretty clear you're going to have the opposite yeah. of that. Oh, yeah. So this desire for churches to just always be at one in love, in, in love and peace with their community is not biblical, uh, nor is it a future reality. So, um, anyways... There's probably a lot to say on that. I should write a blog. Does anyone blog anymore? Yeah, I guess people. Yeah, people do. <laughs> Not me per se, but yes. All right, you ready? Yes. Okay. Three. We put on a heart that dwells richly in the Word. Um. First one to you. What does it mean to dwell richly in the Word? Um. To let the word of Christ dwell in us richly, we must spend a great deal of time um, in the Bible, learning about him. Uh, We must cherish his words in our hearts. Uh, Our lives should be reflecting Christ-like love. Um, 
and we should be we should be filled with his peace and and thankfulness. That's good. So, why is dwelling richly on the word so important uh, for the health of the church of a church, Jason? I should have had a more systematic answer here, but I'm just gonna fire away a few points, no specific order, and I'm sure there's <laughs> plenty more. Um, it's important. The word's important for the health of a church because the church is being reconciled to Christ, or at least to God through Christ. Uh, so. It's hard to have a healthy church if it doesn't understand the gospel from the word. Yeah. The church is being reconciled with each other. So, for example, um, I shared this with you, but without naming names on the podcast, like on Sunday, someone felt really convicted during the message, and that has nothing to do with me. That's the Holy Spirit yeah. and the word. And they felt really convicted and reached out to a family member and or multiple family members and reconciled this week. Yeah. That's something the word can only do. Um, so, and the Holy Spirit. So, uh, it's important because the church sees how godly leadership works. That's mm-hmm. been good, especially when we go for, through for Samuel. Um, it's been good to teach on leadership because not only does that challenge me and the other leaders of this church, it gives our own church, everyone else, a healthy understanding of what they should expect from a leader. Um, and maybe things they shouldn't expect from a leader. Uh, it helps churches to see how church discipline works. Um, most people don't like church discipline because it wasn't followed correctly in previous experiences. Or they have they see no biblical warrant or mandate for it, so that keeps that health, a church healthy by not letting sin ruin it. Yeah. And the most important one, it we dwell richly on the word because we're we become dependent upon the word and nothing else. Uh, that creates a healthy church. It's not that we can't do fun things. Yeah. We will. It's just a matter of like. You know, our church isn't going to lose its mind when we, on many fronts, church isn't going to lose its mind when the church sign falls down and they're like, oh no, how are we going to do church? <laughs> Same that we always have, yeah. you know, like we'll get the sign back up, you know, we'll, we'll figure it out, but that's not where our hope is. Right. Same, we're not going to lose our minds when we get hundreds of people show up trick-or-treating and trunk-or-treat like they came for the candy man like yeah. <laughs> they don't came for the popcorn they came for the popcorn and <laughs> and we were serving waffles yeah. <laughs> like, you know <laughs> you think they all these people were like we heard jesus was here you know yeah. we we want to hear from jesus they came for the the snacks and that's fine and yeah. that's a good that can be a good outreach a great opportunity to build relationships it's fun it's fine to do things that are fun it's just a matter of like that. We're not going to depend on that. You know, we're, we depend on the word. And that that's what will drive us forward. So sign, no sign. Waffles, no waffles. You got the Bible. <laughs> <laughs> Why must we see the gospel in all of the word? Well, you stated during the sermon that it <laughs> drives us to unity. Seeing Christ throughout the whole Bible. Uh, I read a really good article uh, today on um, Ligonier.org. It it was a little bit, I mean, it it talked about this a lot, but it was basically about how we don't meditate enough on the word. We just, most times we just read it. But anyway, he said during the the article that, um, that as we read the Bible, we should ask ourselves, how does this text relate to the gospel and to Jesus? Yeah. Um, which I thought backed up what you said very well. Um, but yeah. Yeah, it, it's important to make this distinct, distinction because I've, I have I know some people have pushed uh, against it. Like even, he's never going to listen to this. The pastor in our last church who's mentored me and I love him, I think would push against me at times when I would say this. And I'm like, look, I'm not saying that everything in the Old Testament is an analogy of Jesus. Yeah. You know, and that can be a real danger. You can hear preaching where you're like, 
we know it says this, but they're talking about Jesus. I'm like, no, they aren't. <laughs> like that has nothing to do with. They're not thinking about that. That's not why that story exists. However, you can see, and there's plenty of times in the Old Testament where it does, but all of the Old Testament, all of the Bible is pointing to a theme of of redemption yeah. that's needed in Christ. So I'm just got done reading Leviticus, mm-hmm. and you're like, I want to jump off a roof. <laughs> you know, this is this is a lot. You yeah. know, I can't. You know, it's just a lot. And you can read that and think, like, why is that in there? It's in there because that's how heavy the law was. It drives yeah. us to say, I tell people, like, it's not it's not that it was just difficult to follow. It's just difficult to read. If it's difficult to read, you absolutely better have someone come and fulfill it. You know, he came to fulfill the law. So that's a good, healthy way to read through Leviticus. You don't have to read it word i mean you read it word for word but you don't have to read each word and say what does that mean for my life today like just read it read the the heaviness of the law yeah and move on look at christ and move on um so or the theme of all of first samuel which we'll even walk to even more it's like israel wants a king i'm like you know we we have king jesus that's who we need so yeah yeah, so not everything in the Old Testament is some analogy about Jesus. <laughs> Where are we at? Point four. Put on a heart of thankfulness. So Jason, what should Christians be thankful for? I got a few things in Scripture. Well, there's probably a lot, but I'll list a few things. Uh, first, the Gospel, Second Corinthians 9.15. Thanks be to God for His inexpressible gift. We need to be thankful for each other. Ephesians 1.16, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. He says mm-hmm. the same kind of thing in Philippians 1.3, 1 Corinthians 1.4. Paul is always kicking off these letters like, I'm thankful. I pray and I'm thankful for you. Um, and I think we should be thankful for material blessings, whatever they may be in our life. Ephesians 5.20, giving, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So you got a house, you got an apartment, you got a place to sleep at night. You know, be thankful for that. So yeah. there it is. It's my quick boom boom boom. I should snatch and snap faster than that. <laughs> I remember when the the kid when the kids first learned they could snap. You wanna talk about annoying. <laughs> <laughs> Or did they all learn it at the same time is well, the question. The twin, yeah, I mean, they are. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I forgot who did it first. But, yeah, the twins have always, like, you know, <laughs> do things at the same time. How does thankfulness encourage generosity? Okay. Um, <laughs> man, these some of these questions I really struggled with. I, maybe that says a lot about me. But um, we are thankful for God's gen- generosity to us uh, by sending his son to die for us to pay the price that we owed. Uh, so in turn, we should be thankful and be more inclined to be generous with our own time and money to help those less fortunate or to serve Christ. Um, our generosity should flow from our thankfulness. Uh, you know, Christ did this for me. I, in turn, should do this for others, not as an act to pay God back, as if we could, um, but this is what Christ did for me. So let me pattern my life after Him. Yeah, yeah. I I forgot where I read it, but he they mentioned like you don't you don't give because you're called to be a giver. You give because you are a giver. Yeah, if that makes sense. Yeah, you know, like that's just yeah. who we are because of what Christ has done for us. So. Where are we at? Summary point. Yep. Of course, didn't like it, but I had to keep the theme <laughs> running here. Uh, I even said on on Sunday, I was like, for whatever it's worth, I don't think <laughs> I don't know if people realize that's what I meant by that. <laughs> Worship is rooted in what we put on our hearts. But if that was helpful and clear, great. Um, so, how is giving? This is kind of a summary of this whole series. How is giving an overflow of our worship? 
Um, when we give generously and sacrificially, it's not because God needs anything, uh, but because we want to show our love for him. Um, God loves willing and cheerful givers. Um, a willingness to be generous in giving is it's more important than the amount that you're giving, I, th- I think, to keep that yeah. in mind. Uh, there's not like a dollar amount. Oh, you know, I need to get this dollar amount. It's, it's a heart. It's all heart issues, I think. Um, our giving will result, result in praise and thanksgiving to God um, when done correctly. Um, and our giving should be a natural response to God's gracious gift. That's good. Hmm. I like that. Thanks for summarizing the series for us. Yes, sir. Um, well, we're done. We have we do have a concluding question, which I'm I'm at a point now where I'm like, this just feels like we talk a, a lot, and then we're like, hey, let's change directions and talk mm-hmm. about something else. I don't know if that's helpful. Maybe when I'm done with the PK Catechism, we'll create a mini podcast. I like having the like a mini podcast option because this one's usually. When did you old. start though? A long haul. I'm over halfway okay. with the kids now. Um, we're on over week 30. Well. So maybe the summer start a mini, another mini series. Um, I think the kid doing the podcast with the kids is fun. Mm. But, you know, so I don't know. Maybe we'll see. <laughs> All right. Well, for what it's worth, we have a separate question to kick us. Uh, not kick us off to close the door I guess Um, why are so many Christians deconstructing their faith how should the church respond before we start how would you I guess how would you define deconstructing well I've kind of alright I'll let you have the answer maybe that'll I I didn't go totally into that but let me just say what tell you what I put here I said first I would say that I've never really heard the phrase deconstructing my Christianity or faith until recently. Yeah. Um, in the past few years or so. And I would also say that it may not always be a bad thing. Okay. I don't think the result is always bad. Um, but I'm guessing the question is not geared towards those people. Um, <laughs> so I would say people uh, deconstructing their faith, it might be a fad. Uh, to say, um, I mean, the world is so connected now via the interwebs and, and that people are able to share so much so quickly. And, um, you know, many people, like we've said many times here in this podcast, would rather conform to the world than unify in Christ. Um, I say some people might be burnt out yeah. from Christianity. Um, I would say people's trust in Christianity or in the church altogether is declining. Yeah. Um, right. as some of the reasons. So for a lot of situations. And, and, and my response for how, how the church should respond or how we should respond, um, I would say if you know the person, talk to them. Um, find out the story. What caused this? And we mentioned this earlier. Find the root of the problem and work from there. You know, um, I would say be available. Uh, you may still be able to guide someone. I mean, yeah. you, if they're out of the church, you're not going to be an authority figure over them anymore. You might be able to guide them still. Yeah. You might be a trusted friend that they still seek guidance from. Uh, you know, my go-to prayer always, um, don't be judgy or, or standoffish. Um, but yeah. That's true. Yeah, there is. So we, we went to that uh, expository preaching conference yeah. last year, and someone uh Asked Stephen Lawson what he thought about a Christian's deconstructing, and he's like, "What's that?" <laughs> and then that was kind of the end. Yeah. <laughs> so I don't know what that means. You know, teach yeah. the Bible, and uh, but I, I I do think there is a level where that has been a good thing. Majority, it's always in the negative, right? But there there has been people solid people that have used that in a positive way of where they have uh, to give you an example in many ways i have to deconstruct what some of the bible belt has incorrectly taught mm-hmm. about what it means to be a christian when i teach on sunday morning yeah i have to deconstruct these thoughts that aren't biblically accurate and then 
build yeah. it back up with what the Bible says. But I think for the majority that we use it today, like it's all over like that hashtags on TikTok. Mm-hmm. I'm surprised hashtags. Like I thought that would be a fad that went away. Yeah. <laughs> We're still hashtagging. On TikTok, there's a lot of uh, deconstructing Christians, and they are not or ex-evangelical. I mean, they're not trying to figure out their faith. They're trying to yeah. dismantle everyone's faith, um, and they would say they were a Christian. Um, and I think that's a huge issue, and the issue that is not going to go away. It's going to increase drastically. So I think, what you know, why is this happening? What should we do? I'd say, one, churches aren't teaching the whole Bible. Mm-hmm. Um I have listened, and I will not name names or churches, but uh, I, I listened to a recent sermon, and it was so good on the, th- you know, just what it meant to be a follower of Jesus. And there was like no teaching of the Bible, mm. you know? And I'm just saying, all right, well, maybe that was just a one off message, but you're like, mm. people. Like if you're only teaching an ideology, you're only teaching like these big stories that you see in the Bible. Yeah. Like no wonder people begin to walk away from the faith because they don't even know. They've never even heard of it. Someone says, "Well, you you know what about that in the Old Testament?" They're like, "Well, that's the first time I've heard of it." <laughs> you know. So I think the churches are just not doing a great job of teaching the whole Bible. Uh, churches aren't. Here's the thing. They're not it's not that they're not answering questions, tough questions. They should. Yeah. Churches aren't anticipating tough questions. Mm-hmm. Which means us as church leaders, we don't need to just prepare ourselves to answer these difficult things that people wrestle with. We need to be so in tune with the way our culture thinks that we're anticipating the what they're thinking when yeah. we teach. Um and I'm not perfect in that, but I, that's a goal at least. On Sundays, it's not. I'm not trying to answer your, like questions, just questions I have about the passage. I'm I'm trying to anticipate how you would see that through your world view, and address it there. I so that's like for instance, just an example. Like love, you know, that's an anticipation kind of question because people are going to be like yeah but what do you mean by that love Mm -hmm. so we just need churches just aren't doing that and i think a lot of it is because churches become so like inside their little bubble and they don't even know what unbelievers think yeah so um now some of the not so nice ones (laughs) some people are lazy and they don't want to look for real answers we live in a culture that feeds off bite-sized information there's a complete lack of journalism in the secular world. Yeah. So we just want sound bites that f- fill our bellies and that's it, you know. So we get those tough questions and we're like, ah, you know, <laughs> you know, I'll just they must be right. And rather than looking and <laughs> doing looking for real answers, some people are looking for an excuse mm-hmm. to do whatever they want. Yeah. That's probably that's the biggest good. one. Yeah. Uh, and they'll be like, well, I don't want to be a Christian because of this, this, and this. And, you know, I've got these issues with the Bible. And I'm like, you just do, you want to do what you want to do. And you're using that to make yourself feel better and to justify it. I yeah. think that's a huge one. Um, but this is a real problem. I mean, I, she won't care that I said her, say her name, but Emily messaged me a few days ago. Um, a video that she had watched, a TikTok, and um, it was some, it was a good question. And I think, you know, we're we're being bombarded by these really difficult things today with access to all of the world's information. The church yeah. needs to be able to calmly and respectfully answer those, and that. And I told Emily, like, it's it's good. It's okay to have these questions, you know, like, or even doubts. And you're like, I, I get confused all the time. Or you're like, I don't know. I think people just assume because, you know, you're the pastor or preacher or whatever they want to call. Like, there's Sundays I don't even want to be here. Or there's times you're like, 
is God real? <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah, I, I, I'm just being transparent. Right. But there's just... What I used to tell students, like, if I can find anything, and not that I'm searching anymore, but if I find anything that's better than Jesus, I'm done. I'll leave. I don't want... Then I won't do it anymore. Mm-hmm. And I haven't found that, nor... And I have trust in God's word that I'm not going to find it. So... Yeah. I don't know. I And I did tell her, um, I'd say it to anyone, you know, faith in the cross is always foolish to those that are perishing. Yeah. That's, yeah. that's in the Bible. <laughs> so if you're like, everyone thinks I'm an idiot, I'm like, well, that's because it's supposed to sound like it. The Bible is telling you, like, it's going to sound yeah. that way to anyone that's perishing. Yep. So, all right. Are we done? Remind me, I gotta show you a quick video. After. All right. You prayed last time? Matthew prayed last time. So, but technically, it would be. It's my turn. Your turn. It is my turn. All right, God, thank you so much for today. Thank you for Chris and uh, his heart for ministry, his heart for you. Uh, thank you for your word and just being able to discuss these things and. Uh, God, we pray that it, it honors you and that it's helpful, not just for ourselves, but it's helpful for others. And we pray these things in your son's name. Amen. Amen. That's it. <laughs>